welcome to Doing the Work, the frontline stories of social change, where we bring you stories of real people working to address real issues. I am your host, Shimon Cohen. In this episode, I talk with Martin Rafferty, CEO of Youth Era, a national organization that empowers youth to achieve their greatest potential. We discuss Youth Era's unique approach to youth leadership, drop-in centers, and training for adults who want to support youth voice. Martin explains how Youth Era responds to school shootings, as well as the stigma surrounding mental health. He also shares his powerful journey of how he got into this work. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Martin, thanks so much for coming on, doing the work. I'm really excited to have you on here. And maybe we can just start with finding out a little bit about what you currently do at Youth Era. Thanks. Yeah, so we are a national youth empowerment organization. And we work inside of schools, we work inside of communities, and we work inside of systems. So we started out primarily working with youth who experienced Uh, mental health conditions. And we then started to go into foster care systems, homeless runaway youth systems, low-income youth. So we're now, if if they're young adults, if they're young people, um, somewhere in the country, somewhere in, in the state, we are serving them. That's great. It sounds really comprehensive. You know, you started kind of with one focus and you've expanded it to really be able to serve a large number of youth. I know that um, you have a number of actually drop-in centers. And so I wanted to kind of get into a conversation about those drop-in centers. And if you could just kind of take us into what a typical drop-in center would be like if someone actually just walked in there, what would they see going on in there? I'd like to think about young people who are walking in, a, in their community, maybe they're, they're walking, they're five blocks away from school. The first thing that you're going to notice as a young person, as a professional walking outside of our center, is that there's some really cool signs, LED lights, something that doesn't look quite typical. Uh, and when you take a closer look, you'll see some decals, you'll see some, some branding for Xbox. You're, what you're seeing is, is a, a welcoming environment that we've created to draw young people in. And it's, it looks inviting because it is inviting. We wanted to create a space that didn't look like a system, that didn't look like something that an adult would make. We wanted to create something that, that would bring youth in. And we do that by utilizing young people to create some of those aesthetics. When you walk into the center, you always be greeted by one of our young adult peers. Our staff members who work out of the drop-in centers, they're always young adults themselves. And that's the backbone of Youth Era. We, we utilize young adults to work with other young adults. So when you walk in the center, you'll be greeted by one of these young adults who are certified by the state to do this kind of work. And they will guide you through a little, a little 15 minute tour of, of the services offered at the center. Can you talk a little bit about what those services are? Yeah, absolutely. So it's important to, to, I like how you put it around asking what the young person sees. And so I guess I'll go, go there first because it's important to explore what's going on in the background. I know that um, a lot of professionals and, and a lot of 
uh, folks in general want to know that there's the evidence-based stuff happening in the background, that these services aren't just, you know, soft. They're not just a place for young people to hang out, but there's actual, actually some value behind youth utilizing these services, and that's there. But if you're a young person experiencing uh, the drop-in center for the first time, you're going to be introduced to a computer lab. Uh, it depends on what which drop-in center that you have. We actually just opened our newest drop-in center uh, last Friday, and uh, that's in Salem, Oregon. And that drop-in center actually has an esports arena. So it's these computers that are certified at the at the highest level to play uh, esports computer games, and uh, they have all of the LED lights, all of the latest and greatest technology that young people who are really into gaming are very much attracted to. Those computer labs also have 3D printing machines. We have some of the fastest, highest quality 3D printing machines that, that you can buy as what we call a prosumer. Uh, those, those can make phone cases for young people. We have young people who create labels for, for their uh, bookshelves, uh, those 3D printing labs, it, it can be as, as practical uh, or not as you want. The other thing that you're going to always find at our drop-in centers is we have something called the Youth Development Cafe. And that is a intern program for young people who might be a few years uh, before they're developmentally ready to get a job. What they do is they, they sign up and this position, it's, it's not super low-key, right? You have to show up on time. You have to go through a training. And what you're doing is you're serving other youth. And so the back end, we do have responsibilities. But if you're a young person seeing the drop-in center for the first time, you're going to see healthy snacks, sometimes not so healthy. We try and balance that out. Uh, always available. When, whenever we're open, we always have snacks and food available for, for young people. Walking through the center, you, you, if you're in Clackamas, uh, you might see a virtual reality room, and that is hard to describe through just audio, but it's, it's something that I feel like uh, we pulled right out of Disney World, right, after, right out of like a Tron movie. Uh, it's a $60,000 room that we got put together by some of the people who make promotional materials for Mountain Dew and Pepsi. Uh, and and donors teamed up to create this this room that's a complete spectacle, uh, and it uses HTC Vive and gives young people the virtual reality experience inside of a completely unique and kind of alien-looking space that they can't stop sh sharing on social media. They can't stop bringing other friends to show them. Um, and then, again, it depends on what space you're in, but uh, we, we also have, um, in all of our drop-in centers, we always have places to study. Most of our centers have movie theaters inside where you, you could watch a movie or you could play the 360. And then all of our, all of our drop-in centers also have small little libraries. Uh, uh, we, we have a, a loyalty app where if you read a book and, and, and do these, these quizzes that we have, you get these points that you can use to um, get prizes or, or buy something bigger if you bring your points together with other youth for, for the drop-in center itself. So like if, if you want the new Xbox, 
you and 10 youth can earn 10,000 points by reading these books or doing these community service activities to, to get that. So how does, you know, all these kind of bells and whistles and gizmos and gadgets, how does that connect to the mental health needs of these young people who are coming into your centers? So the background of all of these aesthetics and all of these activities that we've created for young people is that we, we realized early on that if we really wanted to work with young people in a meaningful way, we had to create something, we had to create a place that they, they felt okay about going back and telling their friends about. So we do have, for example, groups that are just focused on what you, what you, what you would call a pure mental health support group, where young people come and talk to each other about difficult things they're going through. But the, the gizmos and, and gadgets are the things that the young people will share um, on Facebook, right? They're, they're not going to be sharing that I went and talked about the trauma that I went through in support group at Youth Era today. They're going to say, Youth Era just got this new virtual reality experience. You, you have to see that. So the gadgets and all of the, the bells and whistles, they are there as a, a device to make sure the young people aren't experiencing stigma by being associated with us. You know, I was I was going to kind of make a joke, but it's not really that funny. But it in a way, I guess it is where it's like, what do you mean they don't want to post on social media that they're, you know, talking about trauma? But of course, who most people don't want to, whether they're young or adults, right? There is right. a stigma about mental health. And we know that people don't access services because of that. Right. And that's why we actually started to go into different systems, because what we identified when when we were working with these young people who some of them did experience mental health issues, but some of them were system wary, meaning we we might be working with a family that are under documented. And so they their experience with any kind of system is zero. They don't they don't interact with any, any mental health system. They don't interact with with these professionals because they're in constant fear of of being deported. And so they would trust us. They would trust the work that we do because we don't look official. We don't look like we belong in the system. And so we we started to realize that once we removed the stigma part of services that we were way more effective at reaching these hard to hard to hard to reach populations thanks for sharing that i and you know it makes me you know i know a little bit about how you started out and you know as a young person who was also connected to this work through a supportive environment and i kind of wanted to Ask you know I hope you'll share a little bit about that story because I think that it's it re- it's so strongly you know I you know you and I have known each other a long time and I think it so strongly influences your perspective in how you do the work you do and how you're so effective at it. So yeah, I'd love to share. Um, I, I I'm used to sharing my story and I I do it proudly. Sometimes I get some some professionals who might raise an eyebrow, but it's important that uh, as professionals, that we are being authentic about why we're doing this work. And so I'm, I'm proud to share my story. So I was a young person that experienced domestic violence. 
my stepfather actually would come after us when we would move to a new community. So some folks who, who are listening um, might know this story because it happens over and over. Uh, when women and, and children escape, sometimes they're followed. And so that was the case with us. When I, we finally, my family finally moved to Oregon, there was a period in which I was homeless. And during that period, I had zero interaction with systems. I, I was able to be a homeless adolescent without any adult knowing. Folks figured that I, I was a runaway or that I was being harbored by an adult, which wasn't the case. And so when I'm talking about reaching system where are youth, part of it is always talking about reaching little Martin, the Martin that was sleeping under those bushes in the rain in Oregon's cold rain. And, and how could I reach me? And so that's the challenge that pushes me forward. I know that everyone's story is different. That part of my story really informs the need that I have to try and, and come up with better outcomes for some of these young people. I had a very happy ending because a youth professional stood up and broke the rules in order to get me the support that I needed. And so that's another part of, of my story is that someone who wasn't following company policies were the one who, who made the difference in my life. And that's something that we don't speak about are the times that we've stepped away from the roles, but that's something that informs my, my work as well. And how did you, you know, learn the skills that you needed to become a professional in this field? So I was adopted by a woman who had created a nonprofit called LEAD. And that nonprofit, its whole focus was to teach low-income youth leadership skills. When she adopted me, it was something that was dangerous at the time for her to do. It was unofficial at first. It later on became official. But while it wasn't official, it was always a little scary. And I knew the risk that she was taking. Even at a young age, I knew the risk that she was taking. Some young people in situations like that might try to become good at washing dishes, at at doing housework. I decided I was going to become whatever she needed. And what she needed was someone who could help with creating a website, making a video, making brochures for the program she was running. And so I was motivated by that at a very young age. And so by the time I was 17, I'd been hired as an assistant director. And and that's when I started to learn the HR and all of the other stuff that comes behind nonprofit work. And it's just kind of gone from there. I know over the years with different roles and now, you know, where you're in this position of being CEO of Youth Era. And I appreciate you, you know, sharing that story. I want to kind of shift gears a little bit into another aspect of the work you do, which is responding to school shootings. This is obviously a really um, intense topic and a timely topic. You know, I'm recording from Miami, Florida, and not that long ago, there was a major shooting not too far north of here in Parkland. And there's, um, you know, there's been a number of shootings. In fact, we know LEAD 
came as a result of a shooting um, in Oregon and kind of the response of how to um, try to prevent something like that, right, by reaching young people mm-hmm. earlier. So I just want to kind of ask you to speak a little bit about what kind of work Youth Era does in response to school shootings. Sure. So if I can brag about anything that Youth Era is good at, we're good at youth engagement. And that is something that systems, including schools, are not as good as they should be. They're, they're, They're behind the times when it comes to understanding how to work with social media, understanding how to reach youth who may not want to be reached by, by professionals, by, by schools, by systems. So when a school shooting happened here in Oregon, uh, in Reynolds, uh, a little community in Portland, Oregon, they opened up a clinic that was open every day for a month. And not one student, not one family member ever used that clinic. This was the response that they had to the school shooting because only three days before school was to be out for the summer is when the shooting happened. And so the school was very uncomfortable with the idea that these students were going home and and there weren't any kind of counseling services. They didn't know how they could reach them. And the clinic wasn't working. So they contacted the state. And the state said, we know someone who could solve this problem. And so we put together an event and we got 220 youth and youth and family members to show up to that event. And a huge percentage of those of those students actually got connected with more traditional services. And so that started our process of how can we be of use? Because uh Two years after that, the UCC shooting happened, which a lot of people who are listening probably have heard of UCC, where Reynolds was not big enough to, to be on CNN for a few weeks. But when UCC happened, we, we knew we had to go and do whatever we could. And from there, shootings will happen in other states. We'll get a phone call or maybe we'll reach out. And now we are the organization in the world that have, has responded to more school shootings than, than any other, uh, followed not very closely by the Red Cross. So we have a, a dark experience doing our youth engagement work in, in a very important setting. And, and that's working with these students whose lives have been changed forever. And it's, it's up to us to figure out how can we support them not just in the first week when the cameras are on, but in the, in the first year and the, in the year after that. So that's, that's the kind of work we've been doing. We, we do follow up with social media. We, we make relationships with these, with these students, with these youth, and, and we keep them. And what does that follow-up, you know, what does that support look like? So it looks differently depending on, on the different, situations, right? Every shooting is, is different. And while that might sound obvious, you know, I, I, I liken it to, to the fact that, you know, a high school versus a, a college, the, the, you know, in, in some of these community colleges like UCC, the teachers are very close to the age of the students. And so when that situation happened, we had Umqua, Umqua Community College, correct? Yeah. Umqua, yeah. Yes, sorry. We we had teachers who 
uh, were who had the same needs as the as the students. So it really does depend on the shooting. But um, we know from research that that youth request the most services starting one year, the one year anniversary after the shooting. So we, we always try to have a event or some kind of push at the one year anniversary. And what we do is we also, we have staff that work on social media. That's, that's mostly all they do. And so they have these dates in their calendar. They're, they're checking in with these youth on different social media platforms and they're, they're figuring out navigation of systems, navigating resources for those youth. So it looks differently, but it always involves social media and it always involves, you know, these relationships that started on the ground um, with our peer support specialists working with those students. Um, but it, it, we always tie it back a year, two years afterwards. So is it that engagement and then helping connect those young people to local services or there, or is there a connection to, you know, services that are more in depth within youth era? Yeah. So depending on what the situation is, so, you know, we've worked with, with young people who are in a family with underdocumented um, folks who they might not ever be able to feel like they can get traditional therapy. And so for those youth, yeah, we, we utilize our peer support specialists to work with them in, in what people would more feel like is kind of a sub counseling kind of relationship. It's definitely not counseling, but it's that peer support that, that, that offers um, young people a way to talk about, you know, what's going on and, and, and we always we always connect young people with services in their community first. So so even if they do connect with us, uh, peer support wise, we're always the first thing that we do when we get a call is we start putting together the resources that are needed. So even if it's a year and a half later or two years later, and we have a peer support specialist working with someone, they'll still be trying to get local resources for that young person. And a lot of times there, there, those resources exist because the community realizes that the shooting's so damaging that, that they're going to invest in those resources long-term. One thing that you talked about earlier in the, in the interview here, and then it's kind of come up at various points, but I want to get a little more in-depth with it, is the actual youth leadership approach that you have and how... I guess, first of all, like what that looks like, but then also, you know, how that approach then allows you to kind of do this more, um, you know, adapt to these changes within each community. Yeah. So we utilize positive youth development in working with young people. And so when, when we are working with youth, our first conversation isn't how are you broken? Our first conversation is, where are you strong? What, what should we know about you as it pertains to your strengths, to your passions? And so we'll tie those strengths and passions back into whatever the goal is. So if we're working with um, a young person who might have an eating disorder because of, of the trauma they experienced, we, we might balance their passion for going to college with 
our agenda to, to get them the support that they need. And so it's about utilizing the, what a lot of people, folks would call resilience in these young people and trusting that they, that they know why they are fighting. They know why, what, what, what wakes them, what keeps them going in the morning and, and having a balance with getting our deliverables done as far as making sure that, that they're connected to the support that they need. How about in terms of organizational leadership, you know, in um, lead, which, you know, you and I met when you were the assistant director and I was in Oregon and and we did some, some work together and that's, you know, how we got to know each other and, and became friends and everything and kept in touch all these years. You know, lead had such an interesting model where the board of directors in the bylaws, there had to be a certain number of youth who were voting members on the board of directors. And then those youth were given support to be able to really sit at a board meeting and interact with those adults and make those difficult decisions. And sometimes when adults questioned if youth should be voting board members, and it was very not tokenistic, right? It was Mm -hmm. these young people were running the organization and it had a profound effect on the, the work that was being done does Youth Era have a similar model to that? So Youth Era is passionate about youth leadership, and it's baked into how we manage our organization, how we make the decisions and choices that we make. We have a very, I think our statewide youth advisory council is the strongest it's ever been. We have a national youth advisory board that is coming together. We, we take our time and make sure that youth voice is honored in a way that makes sense. And I, I, I'm underlining that here because the reality and, and, and why we do things differently is because a lot of the times when, when professionals use the term, you know, we want youth voice, we want youth input, they, they're not really asking for that. What they're asking for is they're asking for token youth they're asking to, to, to be able to use that term so that they can look like they have that buy-in. And the problem with that is, is that it doesn't actually help anyone. The young people who are involved, their voices aren't really being heard. And the guidance that they could give is being wasted because there's no real way for them to give that guidance. We, I like to give the example of you know Pepsi and Coke. If you, if you go to the, the private sector and look at, at how important to them the voice of their consumers are, it's super important, right? It's, it's, the, it's the most important thing because if, you're, if the people who are consuming your product don't like it, they're not going to use your product anymore. And so for, for Youth Era, we utilize youth voice at every level and we do so in a way that that is truly meaningful. And sometimes that means going really slow, but it always means being much more efficient. And you also provide other organizations with technical assistance to incorporate more youth voice, correct? Correct. Our when when you when you go to our website and look at what what trainings that we have for getting a community ready for youth voice, 
we actually don't offer the we'll come and train your youth first option because a majority of the time the issue is actually that the adults aren't ready to hear that youth voice yet. So what we do is we go and get the adults ready. Uh, um, we, we help them create bylaws. We help them create policies so that when the youth voice is invited, it can actually be heard. And so we, we do a lot of TA around that. Um, we also just give away a lot of resources as well. We, we have um, youthempowerment.com is one of our, our websites. And so we, on that site, we give away resources that organizations can download for free if they're wanting to incorporate youth voice. And anything that you ever see coming out of our organization, our, all of the designs, all of the, the marketing, it all had young people part of that process. So it's, it's, you know, we really, it's not about walking the talk because you're being moral or you're keeping your word. It's about walking the talk because when you do walk the talk, when you actually incorporate youth voice, it makes your programs better. Right. And you're, ex- you're accountable to the people you're serving and actually some of those people become the ones who are also providing the services and, and it, and you know, and you kind of create a model there and there's that transition. They're also learning job skills. You know, you talked about that earlier, you know, Martin, um, I'm going to put the links to some of this, you know, in the show notes. So listeners can go to the show notes and get connected with youth era. How else could people support the work that youth era is doing? We, have only ever gone into a new community by one person. Sometimes it's someone in power, but more times than not, it's just some some champion, some person who cares about making their community better. It could be a young person. It could be a professional who says, you know what? I think my community could be serving young people better. And I want to invite Youth Era here. I want to find a way to work with them to, to come and be a part of that. So I really encourage people to, to reach out. We've only ever started these new drop-in centers. We've only ever responded to these, these school shootings when, when that need was there and that one person decided to reach out. We have, if, you're, if there are people who just want more information about how to be a better adult allies, uh, we have that too. I think it's, it, Parkland is a powerful example of what youth voice actually is. And what youth voice actually is, is listening to the leaders tomorrow who have something very powerful to tell us. And sometimes we might not ever get there by any other means than by that youth voice. So I'm super proud of those students from, from, from Florida. And I think that anyone who is inspired by that, they should be taking a look around in their community and saying, how can I be a part of, of getting youth voice in my community to the next level? Absolutely. Martin, I want to really thank you for coming on, doing the work and sharing your story with us, your inspiration, your hope, you know, your wisdom in how to work closely with young people. And I want to thank you for doing the work in your community. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please follow on Twitter and leave positive reviews on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone who's doing great work, 
please get in touch. And thank you for doing real work to make this world a better place. 